Thanks for listening to our Legacy Church podcast. We hope that today's message helps you in your walk with Christ and you visit us soon at our Legacy Church campus in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. For more information, visit us online at www.legacychurchri.com. Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, verse 28 and 29. I want to begin by reading a great promise in God's Word. I know this is a familiar passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, but I want to read it, and as we read it, I want you to ingest it in your spirit and know that this word is for you this morning. In Romans 8, 28, 29, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, the problem with this passage of Scripture is this. And many times we will read this passage and we will reinterpret it to mean, and we know that in all things God works everything out so that I can get what I want. This is true? I know I've read this scripture many times, and that's what I would like it to say. But my prayer today is that we gain an assurance and an understanding that even when things aren't going your way, God still has a plan. Come on, is that good news? That God still has a plan. You know, if God took the time to create you, you can be assured that he is not disinterested in you. He's not uninvolved in your life. And even when you mess up, God will come into your mess up and he will take that and he will use it for your good because God has a great plan for your life. I hear an amen this morning. Are we alive this morning in Jesus' name? You know, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So even when you are in big trouble, your troubles, because you love Jesus, will work for your favor. What an incredible promise that we have in God's Word. You know, turn to your neighbor and say, God is working in your life. God is work. If you're here today, there's no doubt God is working in your life. There's no doubt God is working in your life. So, you know, when you look at eternity and think about eternity without your brain, you know, fizzling out. I tell you, sometimes I, I remember when I first came to know Jesus and really trying to seek out, is God real? Is he not real? You know, I'd have questions like, you know, if God is real, who made God? And I would start thinking of that, and then my brain would start to hurt. I can't, I can't. Because we cannot fathom the bigness of God. I can't even fathom how a person made this thing, the pulpit. But the bigness of God, the greatness of God. And we see that God has an eternal timeline. 
And believe it or not, you have been placed on that timeline. It's not coincidence that you're alive. God has put you on that timeline. You're not just a blip on NASA's radar screen. Oh, what, what's coming through the atmosphere? You know, what's that little thing coming through the atmosphere? What's that speck? Oh, God must be putting someone new on the earth. You're way bigger than that. You have been in God's heart from before you were in your mother's womb. God was thinking about you. God was designing you. God was creating you. And God was choosing you to be placed on the earth at an appropriate time, in the right place, under all the circumstances that you and I maybe don't even like. Because God has a plan for your life. You know, my daughter watches two little boys, and one's four and one's one and a half. And she always comes home with little videos and funny things that they say. Kids are really funny. You know, kids are very truthful. Don't ever repeat something in front of a child that you don't want them to repeat. Okay? I promise you, they will embarrass you because they're truthful. <laughs> but uh, but the, the, the little boy said to my daughter, um, he said to her, Carissa, you know, Mommy and Daddy did a great job picking me out. And then he said, and they did a real good job picking my brother out, too. You know, I thought of it, and I said, boy, how easy would that be? <laughs> Just going to the hospital and saying, I'll take this one. I'll take that one. It's, life is way more intricate than that. You know, have you even thought how powerful life is from conception to birth? You watch these documentaries, you know, and, and you see you know, millions and millions and millions and millions of sperm. And one somehow makes it. One out of millions makes it and plants itself into an egg. And that person is you. Come on. That's incredibly powerful. You know, someone, you know, they, they say Michael Phelps is the greatest swimmer. I disagree. I think I'm the greatest swimmer. You're the greatest swimmer. I made it. I beat out millions. You are a miracle. You are a miracle. So in the good, the bad, and the ugly times of life, though you may not understand, God has a plan. I pray to God that we get this in our spirits today. This is a powerful promise that God gives us in his word. And you might say, well, not me. I'm not worthy. Not me. You know, God doesn't have a plan for me. It's too late. I've messed up my life. I'm too old. So untrue. So untrue. You know, when you look at the lineage of Jesus, you would think that the God to birth his son would have to pick the most holy, the most perfect people for the lineage of Jesus. And yet you look at his lineage and you see he, cho he chooses a prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute, is in Jesus' lineage, lineage. He chooses Bathsheba, who has an adulterous affair with David. 
And you say, how can God choose these people for Jesus to be born to the earth? Because God has a plan. And he will take the worst of the worst. He will take the situations that, that seem impossible. And he will fulfill his will because God is God. God is mighty. God is almighty. God will redeem the worst of us. And that's what I love about Jesus. That I can come to him in the worst of times. In the worst situations. When I was the worst. And the Lord looks at you and he says, I still have a plan. You ready? Do you want it? Open your heart to it. I don't know if you guys have, have yet to see the movie Unplanned. Um, but I, I, I encourage you, strongly encourage you, and, and even parents to take your kids, I would say from maybe 12 years up, to see this movie. Because it's, it's all about um, abortion and Planned Parenthood. And, and it's very uh, you know, revelatory. That's the word I'm looking for. It, I tell you, I, I know a lot about the whole abortion issue and, and, and so forth. But when I saw this movie, it, it opened my eyes to something that I really wasn't considering. And it broke my heart, too. But the actress, her name's Ashley Bratcher, when she was given this part to play the lead role in the movie, she told her mother, Mom, I got the lead role in this movie, Unplanned. And as she's telling her mother... Uh, her mother started to open up with her and said, Ashley, you know, I've never told you this. She says, but I need to tell you that I, when I was 16 years old, I had an abortion. And then she said, and when I was 19 years old, I was in an abortion clinic on the table. And when the nurse came in, she was very pregnant. And something came over her, and she says, I cannot do it. I can't do it. And she walked out of that place. And Ashley was born. God has a plan. God has a plan. Not only did he have a plan for Ashley, that he, would, he knew that he needed her for such and such a time, for such and such a part. But God also had a plan for Ashley's mother. When you're in the worst of situations, when you've done the worst of things, God still is a redeemer. God still is a forgiver. God still can take the worst of the worst, even the worst things that we've done, and he can redeem it. God is a good God. Can I hear him? Amen. God is a good God. But I want to unlock the key today I think will help us, and I think it's a very, very necessary part of our lives as a Christian. We talked about last week, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. We talked about... The part of the prayer where Jesus told us to pray, taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. And we talked about the power of sin, that sin is powerful, that sin is destructful, that we have to be alert, that sin has consequences. And as a child of God, God is so good, he disciplines those he loves, and he'll never let you get away with things, because God has a plan, Right? But there's also a part of this prayer that I believe has to be an essential part of who we are, how we believe, how we think, how we process things. And that's when Jesus said, pray that this way, not my will, 
Not my will, but thine will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. This prayer is, is so essential because I believe that when we get this as part of our character makeup, when we become this prayer, not my will, Lord. Doesn't matter what's happening in my life, God. As how uncomfortable it is, how challenging it is, how troublesome it is, how hurtful it is, how much sorrow it's bringing to me. Lord, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. Not my will, God. I don't want this happening. I don't like the feeling I'm feeling. It's not good, Lord. It's, it shouldn't be happening, God. Why is this happening, Lord? To me, I've done this and I've done that. And, you know, Lord, what have I done to earn this? I have to put all that aside and I have to come down. Bottom line, I have to be a person that trusts in my God. Say, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. And I believe when you get this into your spirit, when you start prophesying this into the airwaves and over yourself, when you're experiencing fear, when you're experiencing sorrow and pain, when you're experiencing feelings of unforgiveness, I've been wronged and, and this shouldn't be happening, and, and then unforgiveness turns to anger, and you know that shouldn't be part of us. You begin to declare, not my will, Lord, but thy will be done. And there's power in those words. There's power in believing that. There's release in believing that. Because what you're really saying is, God, I know you're good. God, I know you're with me. God, I know you'll never leave me nor forsake me. God, I know that everything that's happening in my life, everything that's happened and everything that's going to happen, I know good is your intention for me. That's what you're saying. And Lord, I'm willing to let go of my will, to let go of what I want and what I think should be happening. I'm willing, God, to live life knowing that I can trust you. Not my will, but your will be done. You know, this room is filled with people that have had great tragedies. Filled with people that have experienced great loss. Filled with people that have experienced great hurt, abuse. Things that should not have happened in their lives. Things that you, when you talk to the people and they tell you, you know, this is what happened to, in my life. This is what happened when I was a kid. This is what happened here and there. And you say, it's so wrong. But yet, those same people are in the house of God. They're lifting their hands. They're thanking Jesus. They're loving Jesus. There's joy in their hearts. They're praising God. They're dancing at the altar. They're being used by God. They're serving the Lord in ministry. Those same people have declared over their lives, they've come to a place where they have said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I know that I know that I know that you are good. And everything that's happened in my life, Lord, is for a reason. And your ways, God, are higher than my ways. That's what your word says. I will not trust in my feelings. 
I will not trust in what happens in this world. I will trust in your word, and I will trust in your eternal plan. Amen? Not my will, but thy will be done. You know, a testimony is really the fruit that comes from surrendering our will to God. That's what a testimony is. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that we defeat the devil by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did on the cross, and by the word of our testimony. See, our testimony is the fruit that comes from surrendering our will to God's will. It's the good after the bad. Think about this. What's a testimony? People say, get up and they say, this is who I was. This is what happened to me. But this is who I am now. This is what God... That's a testimony. It's the good after the bad. It's the proof that even in our troubles, our pain and our sorrow, God can work things out for our good. Come on, do you have a testimony today? Is God building your testimony today? You can have confidence that He is. You know, I'm here today... Because God's will was done in my mom's life. My grandparents were killed by the Nazis, and my mother was an orphan on the streets of Italy during World War II. I'm here today because God's will was done through her life. Even though she suffered tragedy and suffered loss and had nothing to eat, starving, God's will was accomplished in her life. Not her will. It was never her will that she would have her parents murdered. It was never her will. But God takes the troubles of this earth, the sins of this earth, the demonic powers of this earth, and He has sent you through time. And He says, I'm going to use all this for my glory. I'm here because God's will was accomplished in her life. I'm who I am today because of my wife. You know, I could never be who I am and never be doing what I'm doing without having my wife by my side, my wife Lori. Now, my wife, her mom died when she was two. She was in a car accident. Her brother died in a car accident when she was eight. She was pinned underneath the seat of the car. Her dad died when she was 11. But yet, God's will was being accomplished in her life. But yet, God provided to her. He gave her her sister and brother-in-law who cared for her. And they prayed because they were Christians. I'm certain they prayed this prayer many times. Not my will, but God's will be done. For me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Not my will, but God's will be done. God will take tragedy and he'll use it for his good, for his plan. You know, one of the most epic battles in human history is the battle of Gethsemane. Now, I'm not sure if, if anyone's ever called what happened with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane a battle. But I look at it and say, it was the greatest battle of all time. It was a battle between light and darkness. It was a battle between the will of the flesh and the will of God in Jesus' life. Because Jesus was all human and all God. 
Now, Gethsemane is a place in Jerusalem. It's at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And, and Gethsemane, the word means olive press. And so on the Mount of Olives, obviously there's olive trees, and there's still some of the oldest olive trees in the whole world in this place. And they call it olive press because in the garden was an olive press. And they would make oil from the olives that grew on the trees. And it's interesting that an olive press takes olives and you get oil by the compression, the squeezing of the olive. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus was in that garden and he came under the pressure of of his calling. He came under the pressure of knowing that he was going to go into a time of excruciating pain, tremendous pain, a time where his own friends would betray him. He would be all alone, a time where even God the Father, his Father, would have to look away from him, and he would experience what it felt to carry all the sins of the world. To carry your sins, to carry my sins, to carry sins from the beginning of time until he returns. He went through this pressure. And the Bible said he he sweat great drops of blood. And it's called hermitodrosis. And it's an actual medical thing that happens when someone is under such excruciating mental anxiety that you stop bleeding through the capillaries in your face. That's what Jesus endured in Gethsemane. What's interesting about Gethsemane, it was a place of both life and death. Life because it was olive trees that brought forth fruit. But also in this region, in the Mount of Olives, there's over 150,000 graves. And some of the tombs that are there are from the, the prophets that we read about in Scripture, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and even David's son, Absalom. And it's prophesied that, and and the Jews believe this as well, that this is where the Mount of Olives is where, where the Messiah will return in this place. And not only will the Messiah return, that the dead in Christ or the dead will be raised first in this place, in this place. And I believe all this is happening because Jesus was already there. He had already raised the dead in this place. And, and listen, this is very, very important that we get this. That it was in the darkness of night. It was in the, the, the sorrows of life, the tragedy that was about to occur. The great fear and anguish that Jesus was about to experience, that he cried out as a man. And this is very familiar to our cries in this earth. He cried out, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been in this place? I think many of us have. Where you're overwhelmed. But Jesus knew what it felt like. But listen, it didn't end there. He didn't stay there. You've got to get this. He didn't stay there because he also cried out, Not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done. And it was in one hour of time, this hour of time, 
that the eternal history of mankind, the eternal salvation of mankind would be decided by four words. Thy will be done. That's how powerful this prayer is. This is how powerful that we need to get this in our lives, in, in, in how we believe, and how we live, and how we think. Thy will be done. Now what's important about this story is that Jesus conquered sin and death before the cross. He conquered sin and death before the cross, before the re- resurrection. He conquered sin and death when he made the decision that I am going to live according to God's will and not my will. And as I was praying about this and thinking about this, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that we need to come to a place in our lives before your trials, before your struggles, before your troubles, to decide that no matter what I am going to trust in God. Before bad things happen, before tragedies happen, you already have to make a decision. Not my will, God. Whatever happens in my life, Lord, not my will. I will trust in you. I will trust in your goodness. Jesus won. He destroyed sin and death at Gethsemane. When he said, I am willing. I will live by God's will and not my will. You know, God could have kept Jesus from the cross, but God had a plan. God could have kept Joseph in the Old Testament from being abandoned by his brothers and put in a ditch to die. He could have kept him from prison. God could have done all that, but God had a plan for Joseph to bring salvation to an entire nation. Jesus is here because of Joseph. God could have kept Daniel from the lion's den, but God had a plan. God had to show us that he can even shout, shut the mouth of the biggest lion. God had to show us that he is the God of the impossible. Amen? God could have kept David. I mean, sorry. God could have kept Jonah. Now, this is, this is interesting. You know, you hear all these stories that's impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Nothing is impossible with God. You being here is impossible. You swimming to that egg is an impossibility. Nothing is impossible with God. God could have saved Jonah from being swallowed by a whale. But he decided... I got, a, I got a plan for this guy. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh, but I got a plan for him. He's not going to do it, so I have to bring him to, to the, the point of death to get him to do what I need for him to do. You know, I look at people's lives and I say, Lord, even if you got to get them on their deathbed, do what you need to do just so they get to heaven, like Jonah. God could have killed Goliath, you know? And we read the story of David and Goliath. God could have just taken Goliath out. Yeah, give him a heart attack. Bing, 
But God decides, no, I have to use David. I have to show David what's inside of him. I have to bring a giant to his life because I have to show him, and through his life, I have to show everyone else what's inside of us for those who believe the Lord. And he took down Goliath. And what's so powerful believing that God's will, his plan, is involved in our lives is that it destroys the power of fear. See, if you know that God is in control, you can overcome fear. If you think God's not in control, you allow fear to control you. So when we, in our hearts, and in our minds, and in our words, and our prayers, start to declare, not my will, but God's will be done, something changes in the atmosphere. Something changes in your thinking. Something changes in your emotions and how you feel. You get a courage that you never had. You get faith that you never had. You're able to take risk that you would never take. Because you know, God, I know you have a plan for my life. And even in the worst of troubles, I know that you have a plan. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? Let's just thank the Lord for his word this morning. Let me leave you with these three things. Three things from the promise in Romans 8. Number one, God will work in troubles for your good. Number two, God has a purpose for everything that happens in your life. Know it. God is working on an eternal timeline. Not your timeline, eternal timeline. Trust in him. And number three, that God will use all things in our lives as believers to conform us into the likeness of Christ. Everything we go through in life is to help us become more like Jesus. Amen? But God is faithful. I want us to just bow our heads. Thanks for listening today. We pray you are blessed by our Legacy Church podcast and hope to see you soon at our church service in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. You can connect with us on any social media platform at Legacy Church RI. Have a blessed week.